0: There's never been a better time to be alive, and whatever the metrics you choose, the world is on its all-time high. So why living seems sometimes so hard? Here I ask people in the forefront of building the future their reasons to be optimistic and the challenges they see ahead. I'm Mauro Rebelo, biotech scientist and entrepreneur, and this is the All-Time High podcast. Periush is a futurist who studies trends and creates alternative scenarios for the future to drive change in the present. In this episode, we talk about how biases limit our ability to anticipate the future, how feelings instead of data can impact our positivity, and about structured and abstract ways of looking into the future. I really enjoyed talking to Periush. And I hope you will enjoy the conversation too. So Purush, thank you so much. Did I pronounce right your name? Purush. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so tell me, how, how should I have pronounced?
1: It should have been
0: Purush. Purush. Okay, great. I will. Um, I will get to the end of the episodes. <laughs> Perush. So Perush is let's start, uh, tell us where you are, where you were born, where you are right now and how, and maybe something that connects the two places.
1: Oh, okay. Um, so I was born in Lahore. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a very, it's a cultural, one of the cultural hubs in Pakistan, by the way, uh, I was uh, initially I was raised in that environment and now I'm in Islamabad which is the capital city and this is more of a very bureaucratic, organized, very government uh, sort of an environment. Uh, So it's starkly different. The the only plus side is uh, in three and a half hours I'm in Lahore by car. So the proximity makes it uh, useful. And I think that's one of the connections. I meet a lot of friends from Lahore in Islamabad. It's much more easier, and that's about it. I mean, but they they, they they're very polar apart, by the way. Um, so a lot of a lot of the a lot of the a lot of the work that I do with philosophers are from Lahore, and and predominantly, but everyone
0: is Islamabad. <laughs>
1: everyone else is in Islamabad. And Islamabad and Karachi.
0: How, but was this a a professional need? I'm I'm going to give you an example. I interviewed uh, um, a Brazilian that raised uh, um, a fintech, a a very important fintech in Brazil. And he said, oh, I was in finance. I had to move to Sao Paulo, you know, like, because, yeah, it's and he even gave this metaphor. Sao Paulo is like a black hole, you know, like it uh, swallowing and everyone. So was this? Uh, you had to go to Islamabad, or it was uh, it was convenient. Or so why why the movement? Okay, could you so do what you do somewhere else?
1: I well, I could do what I do in any part of the world. So um, why be in Islamabad? Essentially, uh, working with few organizations brought me to Islamabad uh uh being closer to those clients uh, made it very convenient so convenience was one of the uh, and it required mobility like physical presence um um the past year has changed that but uh, essentially um it required uh, so i've been in islamabad for 10 years almost 10 years uh, so, working with clients out of Islamabad for ten years made much better sense than staying all the way. So, I lived in Karachi with my family. Um, so, being in Karachi and then working with clients in Islamabad didn't make much sense. Uh, yeah. That just required too much air travel mm-hmm. in order to. And also, I got married, and, and and the person I got married to had to move to Islamabad, and we worked together initially. And so both of our clients were in Islam, but it made more sense.
0: Yes. And how do you see, I know that you, you work with this um, forecasting somehow, right? I, I see your, your your work at least related with this forecast of how the future is going to be. And but how do you see the present and this... Uh, trend over time is the world getting better or getting worse?
1: Okay, so this is a personal opinion, and you know, a lot of the time, people would want to, uh, based on their opinion, people just feed off on their biases and the data that feeds their bias. So I would, in in all, one of my mentors said, you should, uh, you need to be, you need to have courage to be optimistic. It's very easy being pessimistic. And so I would say the world is getting better. Um, yes, it is getting far more uh, complex and complicated, but it is getting better invariably in, in so many different ways. Uh, and so uh, that would be my position. Uh, and in that sense, I say the same thing to a lot of the stakeholders based out of Islam and then otherwise, is that Pakistan is moving in the right direction. So they'd be like, "Oh no, it's not," and I'd be like, "Yeah, it is." Um, many of the indicators, and that's where forecasting comes in. Many of the indicators that I've studied, uh, many of the many of the projections that I've seen, in the in a very longitudinal sense, they're moving in the right direction.
0: And but how do you? So it was very interesting what you said about we feed on the data that feed that, you know, like, uh, um, that feed our bias, let's say, can we not do that? Like what I've seen throughout the pandemic, for example, and even related to the pandemic in the sense medicines that should work and that don't, vaccines, or is that you can tell it was. So the problem is not really fake news. The problem is that you can select the information that is completely true and still get to a conclusion that is false. So you don't need to create an alternative reality. If you just select the information that you if you just select information, you can create already. um, uh, Like if you cherry pick information or if you select small windows of long trends, you can see patterns that are not the real patterns. How do you, working with trends and, and and forecasting, how do you see this cherry picking of information to drive conclusions that are, you know, like of interest, maybe not even bias, you know, like, ah, I want this to be true, so let me select the information that is going to push the world in this
1: uh, direction so uh, I get what you're saying and it's uh, it's often tricky for a lot so for uh, so I, I'm not a, a forecaster I'm not a professional forecaster uh, what in in our world what we call ourselves is usually what we're called our futurist so basically we're not arriving at a very deterministic conclusion what we're sort of doing and in many ways we're, we're we're creating alternative scenarios, which may come across as alternative realities, um, and each of those scenarios are quite plausible in that sense, right? And so, um, in one way, in one way, when you are, uh, uh, how how does one read uh, into um, cherry picking is often quite easy in the sense people who know how to read data and who, how to identify patterns, how to create trends or identify uh, trends, or how to sort of also understand signals um, of change or signals, warning signals or emerging signals. So we, we understand all these phenomena, but in order to really uh, uh, have minimum bias. So for instance, if I'm not required to make any decisions then I will stick to just giving alternative uh, scenarios. But if I am required to make a decision, then I will cherry pick. I will base certain uh, uh, factors that would contribute to a desired outcome of uh, my my thinking. So in that sense, I would uh, look up uh, data and evidence and forecast that invariably substantiates um, my outcome, my preferred outcome. So there, are, there are ways that in which you can identify, and you can always really like if you're sitting in a uh, in a futures conference or a meeting, you could always tell that anyone who is uh, painting a single scenario or a singular outcome, you could always tell that this person has uh, has create has built in a certain bias and has. achieved is trying to achieve a desired outcome, and so therefore we'll use the data and we'll use the signals as a way of justifying that scenario. So, um, so in I'm sure in many of the meetings that you've been, very conclusive uh, uh, meetings are basically meetings on a set of variables ju- that justify a certain outcome, and 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 therefore you we miss out the foggy details. We deliberately miss out the fog, even though you can see the fog. You try and sort of uh, uh, um, uh, you try and keep uh, keep uh, you try and move away from those details, and and so um, as foresight practitioners, our essential job is to also understand how do we navigate through highly complex, complicated, and uncertain environments, and and that's where we're looking into the finer text. Uh, that's where the finer text is more important.
0: OK, but what if this um, so if, if you want an alternative scenario and you choose the variables that uh, justify that scenario. Yeah. But what if the scenario is unreal? So maybe the, the, my problem with the cherry picking is when you, when you uh, deliberately create an alternative scenario that is uh, unlikely and, and, and sometimes can be even dangerous. So should we look at the whole data to, um, to create a scenario that is realistic or, um, or at least we'll say, okay, this is the realistic. this is the non-realistic, but is the like it's where we want to get. And then we look back at the the cherry picking. So I I don't know if I I was clear, but um, my fear is that if you cherry pick to create the scenario, it could be dangerous. It could be so unrealistic because you are not using all the data. And then I'm going to put another question, which is we as humans are so limited cognit- cognitively to look at all the data right that we it's inevitable to uh, uh, ignore variables so are the machines going to be better than us to you know create these scenarios and then let us pick which scenarios that we want but they use it all the all the data and all the information to create the scenarios
1: Okay, Uh, I mean, you're right. We uh, humans are in well, humans are designed to have certain limitations. But therefore, like sometimes education, more skills help us overcome those limitations, right? If I am uh, uh, trained as a gymnast, I can do various flips, right? If I'm not trained as a gymnast, Priyush can fall flat on her face. And would probably lose a nose or a face or an eye, something of that sort. So I would, I would, um, I would harm myself, and uh, if I'm not prepared. So one of the areas that we closely look into within our uh, um, you know, profession is is called the discipline of anticipation how much of one person can anticipate? To what degree are you using your senses beyond the traditional data that you have, beyond the traditional where you, that you can make sense of perhaps the most unlikeliest scenarios to come true. So so in that way, uh, 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 cherry picking, but also um, other aspects of human cognition but also a perceptual sensory data set that we create in our own minds, uh, that becomes important. So one of the areas is how do you expand your own consciousness? Some people do it through uh, spiritual inclination. Some people do it through meditation. I and mean, people like me just walk off up to, uh, the, not really walk off, I mean, that's like my limitation. I can't do so much of walking, but drive off uh, up to the mountains, and you know, be more in nature, see mo- much more closer to. So ba- essentially where people are actually at peace with themselves and at peace with the world, in that very moment, how do you make sense of your uh, uh, environment? How do you make sense of where things are moving? Um, I did this little experiment also, um, but that was essentially for my own personal sense, that if I'd block uh, consumption of news, for the next couple of years, how would that influence my analytical skills? And I realized in much of the conversations that had to do with politics, I wouldn't know what's going on, but I would connect the data points very uniquely with a fresh mind. So you would see sometimes uh, the set paradigms, the education, the knowledge uh, repository that you have already, sometimes that also contributes towards your biases and that really hinders your ability to anticipate. And so how do you use all the functions to understand how shall I perceive the world? Uh, how will it influence myself? and therefore uh, in invariably how would it influence the environment that i'm in so you'd have a lot of uh, uh, and and so as as even a practitioner i have to learn invariably to control my own or to manage my own biases so in a lot of environments with where you know you are being pushed so i can't i can't, i do not have that luxury to cherry pick i have to be To to a greater probability, to a greater probability certain enough to really say that, yes, Pakistan is moving in the right direction. Yes, the world is getting better. Uh, um, We're living far longer lives than we did like over a century ago or two centuries ago. Um, And so there is a greater probability that perhaps two, three generations down would live more than a predominant culture or predominant environment would be uh, would cater to people who can live beyond 100, for instance, and 100 would therefore be your. Average. I'm
0: counting on that.
1: I mean, I mean, if you are, then there is. I uh, let me let me affirm. There is enough scientific work happening in that direction.
0: Yes, I know. Oh. Um... Okay, you said so many interesting things about... First, about this ability to anticipate. Do you know that humans are actually the only animals that can anticipate up to three or four degrees of three or four layers? Let's say, go to the third, fourth derivative. So like, if I do this, then this and this can happen. And if this happens, then that and that can happen. And if that happens, uh, and of course, there's a limit. Some people can go up to f- three or four and others can go up, I don't know, to five, six. And that's there's a kind of cognitively or, or mental limit there. But it's so interesting that you brought anticipation because um, as far as I know from the biological point of view and you know, mental, this is one of the, uh, of the distinguished features of the, the human brain. But you're, you said so other uh, two interesting things. One is that you are the positive voice most of the time among people that have kind of a pessimistic, pessimistic view of the world uh, right now. These people are probably um, exposed to the same data as you. So why are them... Pessimistic. This is a little bit my impression. Also, in a, in a um, in a topic that I uh, that I think I know more than most people, which is the environment. I'm I'm not an alarmist in terms of uh, uh, the environment. Everyone is exposed to the same information. I say, why why am I the the you know like dissonant voice uh, on this? And but and the second question is. If the alternative scenario that you build is unpleasant, how do we deal with uh, um, with this? Because and somehow I think the two things are connected, right? Yes, we are getting better, but our life today is doesn't feel better. So one question has to do with uh, um, with the ill non rational part yes i can analyze the data still i'm feeling like shit you know like and, and and the second is okay if you're telling me you know uh even with vaccines we are not going to go back to having vacations abroad then i don't like that then you know like it's unpleasant so how how to deal with the unpleasant outcomes and and how to make uh, um and and how do people deal with these um feelings, feelings and sense and sensitivity when, when the when sense says one thing and sensitivity says another thing?
1: That's uh that's brilliant, you know, because while you were talking about this, I had to really start thinking along the lines of um uh, so. Uh, sometimes, and and this is this is by the way just a very generalised. Ha- I don't have any scientific uh, knowledge that can uh, really bring any credibility to what I'm saying. But this is more of a, like a view, right? And mm-hmm. and so, one, so one of the views that I have on exactly what you just said is, um, I've noticed uh, with some of the people that I worked with, and I've also sort of observed few things about myself also that um, over a period of time uh, a, le- a, a, a level of self-awareness does not really improve. And, and when that doesn't improve, uh, we, we sort of deal with all forms of an identity crisis. And I don't mean an identity crisis in the traditional or normative sense. I mean identity crisis in all the possible layers one can imagine so why what makes a person optimistic and what makes a person pessimistic why does one have a have a have a very very uh, a view of the world where things are improving while the other has a view of the world where things are not really improving so what is it so uh, one of the areas that we sort of try and delve ourselves into is um, what we call our inner futures like how do we view ourselves? What do we think about ourselves? And this is more of a deeper conversation. This is more of an individualistic uh, approach. And it is more really like delving into your own mind, own history. And it's very personal. So I think um, <clears throat> what you're saying, how how have we, we've not managed as, as, as uh, humankind, as a collective, and also in the individual sense, 've not really uh, we've not really created uh, this um, this uh, this connection between what does self awareness means uh, uh, means to uh, what is self awareness got to do with well-being and what has that got to do with identity in a very health uh, 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 healthy way what do the two three things do so many of us are still grappling with uh, very worldly sort of an approach to everything. So we're very resource-based uh, 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 um, generation, even the generation before us. So for instance, I sit with, uh, with a generation that are, that, are, that are younger than myself, and you know they don't really have that concept of buying a house, buying a car, and they have a very Airbnb approach to life. And you see how that approach... And if it were for my parents, my parents believe in buying cars. They would want a house. They just wouldn't want a house for themselves. They would want a house for their children. And so that's how they actually think. That's where the sense of security comes in. So their way of looking at themselves and looking at their lives is very different from the way the younger generation views their life and their condition. So I think... um, it is not only a generational thing, but it is also a very uh, individualistic thing. So interacting one-on-one rather than, so we're, we're, we're actually accustomed to cluster people so that we can manage their expectations better. and 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 that's how countries are sort of designed and organized, corporations are designed and organized. We are managing expectations of a group thing rather than individual desires. Uh, And because individual desires are very much difficult, people often don't fully understand what their true desires are. And and therefore are conflicted uh, in thinking that if I did this, I would feel this. And it's often usually, you know, what I've noticed, um, people acquire um, whatever they want and whatever they need in order to feel something. And it is so fascinating that if I did this, this is what it would make me feel. And so if we were uh, more self-aware, maybe it would have been the other way around. And that's just my thinking, by the way, it has nothing to do with education or with the work that I do. And, and it's, so it's, for me, it's really, and that's what, you see, that's what corporations, they've actually monopolized in how you should feel. This is what needs to make you happy. And, 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 and so, and countries do that too. You know, you may be democracy, you may be military dictator, whichever you are, <laughs> They capitalize in how you need to feel, uh, how you want to feel in a certain manner. And so I think that's pretty interesting uh, uh, to sort of sit and observe.
0: Yes, well, it's very interesting this idea of, of getting people together to better manage their um, their expectations. One thing that I that I constantly think about is how uh, is that our brains that have evolved for three million years, and and so like the, our brains evolves much slower than uh, than the world around us than than the civilization that we built okay so um yeah the, the google is not going to change our bank brain chemistry and our brain chemistry is all the mechanisms on our brain is our um, um short-term reward okay so And we were, our brain was built to worry about what you're going to eat in the next half an hour, where you're going to sleep tonight, you know, how do you avoid this predator now and not, you know, like, how am I going to retire or what are my kids going to, this is not how, uh, um, our our brain works, and that's why you know, like we keep eating pizza and burgers because we want that reward. And for that, you cannot think like, oh my god, I will have to go to the gym for three months to <laughs> you know burn this burger, and you still eat this because mm-hmm. you know the dopamine. You need the dopamine rush, and that's how Facebooks and likes uh, um, got into us, right? They they are using this. Biochemical algorithm to hook us, and um, but before them, you're right. The idea of countries, the idea of companies, the idea of they were all trying to build uh, uh, to to um, to build something based on these uh, mechanisms that our brain has, and maybe. Um mindfulness and also drugs you know like psychedelics and everything are trying to okay you don't need all this dopamine hush, you can have alternative realities inside you and you can uh, um you can turn your attention to the inside and have meaningful experiences without needing the likes and 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 all these. without having to give your attention to, to someone else or to, to something else, but I'm, I'm still worried how, um, we are able to, uh, um, I'm still worried that this feeling that the world is getting worse instead of better because, because of, how the feelings make us ignore the data or the trends, and you can and I try to separate the feeling from the bias okay maybe maybe this is an important uh, point here, okay because yes, you can have your your bias and you are only interested on in that, and you only feed on this and and because of that you have a different perspective a perspective or a limited perspective, but sometimes people are just you know like ah, I I still see so much poverty, I still see so much war, and you know, like, how can you say that the world is getting better? There are still so many problems. Uh, So, I think this is a feeling thing, and I think that this feeling is fooling people of of the trend and maybe not making them move forward, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I, I see so many people kind of hopeless, Okay, when we actually should be the opposite. Yes, there are still so many problems, but look how we improved on this. How like we reduced poverty 99% over the last century. And it's not only poverty, it's like child mortality. We improved women's education. We, we, wow, it's so many huge uh, uh, achievements. How can people be hopeless? But so many people are.
1: Oh, um, so I was—I was, I was going to say—is there a question, Mauro? Um, so I understand—I understand, I understand uh, the feeling part, and I understand the need to rely on data and less so. And you're absolutely right. Sometimes it's a feeling thing; it's not really the data thing. It's the feeling thing. And and when you say that, I, I do recognize the fact that um, sometimes uh, over some issues, people feel responsible and some people don't and so there is frustration in the environment there's conflict but i just like to sort of you know i keep going you do as much as you're you feel that you're equipped uh, uh to do or to act and so therefore you know sometimes you have to tell yourself and this is where the self-awareness and well-being and your identity thing comes into play is like sometimes you've got to really give yourself a break you, you have to tell yourself you're not responsible for global poverty you're honestly not responsible unless you are harming a complete community and you're taking away their rights you're taking away their privileges if you feel responsible towards and it's very intentional and and there is an intention to rob people off. That is where you need to feel responsible. Unfortunately, people who are doing that don't feel responsible.
0: <laughs> and
1: that feeling is only meant for you. <laughs> and so therefore, it, it, it took me a while before I came to this realization that why exactly do I have to feel for things that I know that I need to have... Uh, exuberant amount of resources to be able to manage and control and move in a direction that i wanted to move in and so why do i have to be uh so harsh with myself and uh, it wasn't a very short answer it took me like decades to understand (laughs) no you don't have to feel that way you are made to feel that way and so the difference between what am I made to feel and what am I feeling personally, that is the difference that one needs to identify. And so you'd, you'd have a very different view on uh, um, on life in general, on your, your environment, people that you live with, communities that you support, you will have a very different view.
0: Yes, well, it's very interesting because, you know, living in a country with a lot of poverty The way I used to deal with this is like blocking. Pretending is not there, which is is different from giving yourself a break. Giving yourself a break is much more, it's much lighter, right? And the problem with blocking is that sometimes you cannot block. It's just like rubbed in your face and you have to deal with this in a different way. I will think about it. Um, So we were stuck in the first question. I want to ask the second one, which is, Like, what do you see are then the the challenges ahead, right? What for you are the big challenges ahead, knowing now that you are a positive person and you are a hopeful person, or maybe you are not hopeless, but I think that you are a hopeful person.
1: Yeah, imagine. I mean, there are times when I also become hopeless (laughs) and it's one of those, you know, your moments of being pathetic, how that's how you feel about yourself, by the way. It's not the world is telling you you're pathetic. That's how it's a very internal feeling. But that's only because I've been so harsh with myself that I feel that way towards myself. So it's a it's a struggle. I think one of the biggest challenges um, as the population increases, as the technology advances, as people just figure out like how to survive, how best to do their uh, best to do whatever they're doing. I think one of the areas I still feel, uh, and I'm beginning to feel much more strongly about, is um, the quality of self-awareness um, and how are people able to connect that with their well-being, but the underlying uh, factor of how people view themselves as in what uh, in what layers, in terms of identity, would they want to project. So I, I feel that, I mean, although risk can be many, but one of the challenges, but this was, could also be an opportunity. Uh, um, people with, coming up with mindfulness and people uh, you know, using uh, sounds to put them to sleep, but not really digging, them, uh, digging deeper into understanding what their traumas have been. And so uh, blocking, is, uh, blocking that exposure is one thing, but that doesn't mean you're not experiencing it yes and so how do you really navigate uh, from those experiences that could only i think one of the ways it could be possible is when you have a true understanding of who you are and that can only be and once you have that how do you make it compatible to the environment that you live in
0: okay and how the professional choice that you made um, connects you with this big challenge that, that you see ahead?
1: Can you repeat that question? Um.
0: So it's, um, I, I want to understand if the professional choices that people made are somehow related with the big challenges that they okay. see ahead, or if they are uh, 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 disconnected. In your case, I f- I think it is connected. So it's so
1: you know be... <laughs> yeah yeah i get it um so you know um it wasn't like that when i started it's it's basically, and maybe you know like uh, 10 years later but that's the I thing don't...
0: right you somehow you tend to align this yeah this, yeah. this uh uh these two things
1: or so, or several so,
0: other things you you tend to create these vectors and and exactly
1: yeah so you know i don't think maybe deep down it was an instinct and an instinct that went unrecognized for decades let's just put it that way and then finding the tools to really um generalize how i'm thinking what do i want to do in life and so um uh so the work that i do uh really I wouldn't say helped others or whatever. I mean, that's they can find meaning um, out of the work that is happening. And so there is a very structured, systematic way of understanding the future and the changes uh, that are happening and the changes that could possibly uh, 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 spring up. But also there is a very abstract mythological way of looking at the future, very artistic way of looking at the future, seeing how the conscious uh world behaves and it's predominantly very different from the data sets we go uh uh, we go by and so there are very different spectrum there 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 is a very artistic expression to the way we look at things and then there is a very um, um solidified and very concrete way the way we want to look at things and both give you some level of certainty uh but the but the but the true connection between the two is perhaps comes from the understanding. How much? So I, I often say this to a lot of people, because this is the reckoning that was very recent that people may know things, but the question is, do they understand? And so those are predominantly two very different aspects. And so uh, we live in a world. What, what where would
0: a, you say I mean, is the difference? What you okay. would you say is the difference so, between knowing and understanding, like the capacity to act upon it, for example? Or?
1: So the capacity to act upon it is because I have a bunch of tools, right? I have a I have a I have a a handbook, I have a manual, and I have a situation, and it could be any crisis situation, right? Let's take pandemic for instance. So we knew for for instance, if if this is transmissible. We knew, for for instance, that we need to stop uh, traveling altogether, and that's what we did. Now we're coming to terms with oh, we need to in some places we need to understand this virus and what does it do to human anatomy, and so uh, and that's what we the, the link that we're trying to understand. But that happens at a very later stage. It doesn't happen. But there will still be countries, by the way, that would still stick to the manual and the handbooks and the tools that are already there. Not necessarily would they actually build that level of comprehension that we really need to understand the nature of the virus and what does it do to a biological circumstances of a human anatomy. So it's a very different way. And the same goes for, um, I may know something has happened, but do I understand why it happened? What led okay. for it to take place? So it's a very different way of looking and, and pursuing a reality.
0: Would you say that your professional choice is related to help these people that know, understand, or is helped them to know, or it's helped them to understand, or to act? How, how does this futurist thing uh, um, uh, works?
1: So, you know, it it would be very convenient for me to say, I I help them do both. But I think the brutal reality of it and something that I need to embrace that I'm not responsible for what they know and understand. It's a choice that they would need to make. So the work uh, that we do offers both uh, circumstances and outcomes. It's what they want as a matter of choice that they so the responsibility is not on me. The responsibility is therefore on them.
0: Great. Very good answer. And well, and and it's a good way also to give yourself a break, right? Not to overthink too much. I did too much (laughs) of that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, like, can people help you somehow? how do people could help you in the work that you do people that are listening to us that they want to contribute or you know is there something that people could do on their daily lives that could help uh, um the work that you do
1: so um yes if people feel that i my work or my way of thinking let's just forget about my work let's just put like my way of thinking uh, would remotely help them, they they can reach out. Um, in terms of support, um, there are two ways that people can support. One way of doing it is by contributing their ideas and talents. So that's one way. So I would like to uh, be amongst people who can imagine an alternate reality, uh, are not subdued uh, by conventional thinking of what is supposed to be, and how it's supposed to look like. So that's one part. And the other way it's a very, very, one of the easiest ways to financially support exactly how I think.
0: Yes. <laughs> and, that,
1: and that can uh, have a very snowball effect within the communities that I work with and also with the people, hopefully should help people. The idea is for it to help people, um,
0: but have a very Great.
1: sustainable way of doing it at the same time.
0: Great. Now, three rapid-fire questions. No, it's like a survey that I'm doing online. So I have three, three uh, rapid-fire questions for you before I let you go. The first is, which book you were re- reading right now?
1: So, wh- okay. So one of the books that I've recently uh, picked up, um, when well, I'm reading it online, but I can't find it anywhere in the bookstores because I want to, would want to make notes out of it. It's the neuroscience of creativity really is trying to really help me understand where does creativity happens? Where does imagination take place? And how does it take place? So, so the trickiest part is, how does it happen, you know? And so that's uh, that's something, it's, it's, uh, it's a very tricky read because sometimes one loses interest quite quickly once a page is turned. But uh, how to keep that focus, how to keep giving that attention, that is something that is, what I find challenging. Is-
0: <laughs> I think this is one of the the big scientific questions to be answered on the 21st century. If if we can, it's about you know how consciousness happens and and creativity uh, together with it. We have had in the last years a lot of advances. There's, I would say, some basic principles have been identified, but we are still like some layers of organ. The, the way they move through layers of organization and how some uh, um, properties emerge so some of the merging properties of creativity we you still cannot connect with yes. these these basic principles. There are still some things to understand, but this is uh, very interesting. Second question is, do you take um, short or long break lunches lunch breaks? Um
1: okay, so there was a time when I never used to eat lunch at all because I used to be so busy, um, especially when you're working round the clock, you don't get time to eat. But now over the last few years, I, I go by if I'm feeling hungry. So one is the very biological need. The other is if the mood is right, so therefore I shall eat, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's feeling, it's the feeling, right? And it's the So as a combination, um, a short lunch, I don't think there's... A short lunch is basically while I'm working. So that happens during my work hours. A long lunch is something that I'm enjoying myself. So it basically depends on the kind of day I'm having and where do I need to focus more.
0: Okay. Then we can talk some other time about how to connect the two things. Okay, really. My last question is bitcoin are you a believer or a non believer
1: You know I read that question and then I was like what are my feelings about bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> So this is the question I asked what are my feelings about believing it would be a much later debate but uh, essentially honestly I had this question once before um what are my feelings towards cryptocurrency and honestly there is I feel nothing. I mean, I don't know if that answers your question, and it, if that well,
0: you don't own any, so like clearly you don't own any he or do you...
1: I mean if you'd ask my brother the same question, he would give you his feelings,
0: <laughs> okay, yeah, so maybe we can have a long lunch where we are going to talk about <laughs> <at> this point, <laughs> maybe yeah well i no, i think it's an important uh, an important alternative future scenario is one in which uh um this currency becomes uh, the world uh, um, a wealth reserve and we have no more inflation and we have a lot of freedom associated with that and if you take what is happening in El Salvador, you can even say that this has already started. <laughs> but let's leave that for our long lunch. It will be a great opportunity for us not to take three years, three years to talk to, to each other again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and oh my god, I forgot how to pronounce the name. Periush. So Periush, thank you so much for doing this, and we are definitely doing this again um in the near future thank you
1: thank you mao thank you